Truly the final countdown for myself, uh, a number of others that will be coming in to minister a revive this week. In fact, uh, Kathy looked at me, I think it was last night, and uh, we were watching something on TV, and she said, you're not really here, are you? I said, no, not really. So uh, my mind is already there. Uh, looking forward to a great time. More of that in just a moment. I do need to make a correction from last week. Uh, the word Korach, it does not mean, uh, what did I say it was, white? No, I knew that. Laban means white, but Korach means bald. Uh, thank you to the person that corrected me in that. And uh, as I wrote back to them, I did six teachings in 25 hours. And if that's the only mistake that I made, I'm pretty much okay with that. Um, uh, before before Revive, uh, one other thing is uh, my uh, friends at Hyavel, a uh, wonderful place, organization. If you've never been on a uh, uh, on a working trip with Hyavel, it is an experience. You will work hard, but the benefits are amazing from that. Uh, maybe you're not able to go right now you uh, for some reason, but you can still be involved. You can go to Greening Israel, greeningisrael.com, and uh, right now, Hyavel is in the process of raising funds to plant 10,000 trees in the land of Israel. Now, this is not just some pine trees and some forest, but this is, this is pomegranates and figs and other things that we're going to be talking about this week, the native trees of the land. Uh, Nate Waller and all of them, I was out on the Gator with Nate uh, last year. He was showing me what they're doing there. It is $25 to plant a tree. You can add on to that, uh, get a certificate, get a GPS, whatever you want to do. Uh, I'm not going to spend my money on a certificate that someone's going to throw away. I'd rather put another tree in the ground. And uh, I can tell you that for those of you that are supporters of Join to Hashem, uh, this is something we will be doing and um, haven't quite made a decision yet. I'm going to do that uh, very soon, but we will be making a sizable donation to planting trees in the land. But if you'd like to do that on your own, uh, maybe this is something you have a loved one, you'd like to honor them, a memorial to them. Go to greeningisrael.com and uh, $25 per tree. And I can tell you that um, there, there's, you know, there's other other places that have done this. Uh, my, I've had some, at times, some bad reports from there. Uh, never have had a bad report from Israel and what they're doing. I can pretty much stake my personal reputation on this, that when you give this money is going to go in the ground. All right, pun intended. Uh, revive, this coming week, um, I will be heading over on Thursday. We'll be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from the hours of 3.30 to 5.30 each day. And maybe a little bit later, I will be uh, myself, Daniel, uh, Josh, Ryan, Barry will be in the part of that. We will have uh, services with the young adults. This is ages 19 to, they said 29, but I'm going to go a little higher than that. Uh, 19 to 29, we'll probably sneak a couple 18-year-olds in just because I can. But uh, we are looking forward to this. Uh, the youth that I ministered to last week 
at uh, Camp Mashiach up in Whittier. They're they're already excited. They're already excited about this. So we're looking forward to it. And I'm going to ask you to do something. This is 3:30 to 5:30 Central Time. Uh, I'll be you know there revived doing various other things. I'm not speaking in a, a general session as it, it looks like, but. Um, if um, if you would please commit to prayer for these uh, these young adults uh, during this time three thirty five thirty, and uh, pray that they they have a revelation of Messiah. There's already been prophetic words that have been spoken regarding that. They must. They need. It is imperative today, and for every day that they have a revelation of Messiah. And an infilling of the Ruach, the Spirit. And so if you would be praying about this, uh, I've already had some people have emailed me and said that they will commit to that. Uh, if, if you'd like to, to be one of those, send me an email real quick and let me know, even if it's Saturday. And you just, you know, listen to this Saturday morning. That's fine. Uh, that way I can tell the, the, young, the young people there that uh, there are people around praying for them. Because... Um, I can tell you this from experience and conversations. They don't really feel that an older generation is supporting them in many places. Uh, it's, it's tragic. In fact, conversations that I've had with people, even recently, the conversation is, wow, you're going to be with, with young adults for two hours. That must be terrible. I mean, how do you, how do you hold their attention? Do they do they have their phones out all the time? Um, it's it's the the attitude the attitude of adults toward young adults and youth is horrendous right now, and you and I need to be people that change that. I made a statement to someone yesterday, and I said, well, because they were uh, they they were kind of into that that uh, that you know. Well, they're, they're, you know, they don't listen and whatever. Uh, maybe, maybe if we, as an older generation, begin to talk with them instead of at them or to them, and that is what I try desperately to do when I am, uh, when I'm with them, whether it be, uh, just one-on-one, which I'll be spending some, uh, I know some, with some one-on-one time. I already have some of the young people that have emailed me, uh, text me, and said I'd like to spend some time with you. We have uh, some some good friends of mine coming in that I'm going to be able to spend some time with, quality time. Uh, looking forward to it. If if you don't think I'm looking forward to this, well, you haven't been listening to me lately. So uh, that's the way it is. So if you would like to, if you would commit to, uh, you don't have to pray for the whole two hours. If you want to, that'd be fine. I mean, I need the prayer and you need the practice. But, uh, if you would like to, to, uh, just, just a, a brief prayer for this time, for the ministry team, for the revelation of Messiah to come into that room. You know, no man comes to the Father unless the, uh, no, no man comes unless the Father draws them. And so we need desperately that drawing, that convicting, uh, in the room, we need, and I've got a number of different illustrations set up and various things. Uh, it's so okay. I, I need to move on. We are now in Bamidbar, 
chapter 19, and it is the Torah portion of Hakot, or uh, which is, I can say, a better regulation. And it begins with the uh, the teaching of the red heifer. Now, the red heifer is something that is fascinating to me, has been for many years. I remember reading a book uh, by, I think it was J.R. Church, regarding, or one of those, back many, many years ago, uh, regarding the red heifer. And it is it is fascinating. There are a lot of people right now that are are looking at it uh, very seriously. But let, let's just look over some of the brief concepts of this. It is said in the I believe in the Mishnah that there will be ten red heifers that will be slaughtered. That the up to this date there has been nine red heifers, and the beginning of the red heifer, the first one was by Moshe himself. So, nine so far. Uh, ten is a number of divine order. Uh, Eleven is a number which is kind of in the, the middle. Twelve is a, is a perfection of government. And that this is the, the writings of E.R. Uh, E.W. Bullinger in Numbers and Scripture. Fascinating book. So, uh, do, do we really know? Do, is it, is it, do we really know definitely the number of red heifers that have been slaughtered? Well, I, I'd say that it, it's possible, yes, but I'm not going to give a definitive on that one. I, I will bring forth something else uh, regarding the red heifer, that it was to be a, a continual covering. Now, the rabbinical scholars through the years have said that this the red heifer is a mystery, that is greater than any other mystery in the scripture, and one that will only be revealed to us in full when the Messiah reveals it to us. So, is it possible that there was another red heifer already, and there have been not nine, but ten? Just consider, I am not teaching this as any kind of doctrine, uh, you don't have to agree. I'm not sure that I agree with what I'm about to tell you. But consider the possibility that the animal that was slain in the garden, we're not told specifically that that was a lamb. Now, through scripture, Yeshua is called the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is referred to in the book of Revelation as the lamb. I got that. But is it possible that the animal that was slain in the garden was a red heifer? And the ashes of the red heifer were uh, were taken by Messiah himself. They would have been a portion of them saved. They would have been uh, given to Adam, would have passed them down generation to generation. The ashes of the red heifer would have been taken on the ark. And then the ashes of the red heifer would have followed the, the Hebrews even into Egypt, out of Egypt. And would have been then uh, mixed with the ashes of the red heifer that Moshe slaughtered, thus providing a uh, a continual sacrifice for all of the family of Elohim of God, which is the family called Israel, uh, which the the scripture. Even though Israel is not defined until the book of of Exodus. The family is still called Israel all the way from the start, I believe, would have been referred to. There are things that are, are revealed. It doesn't mean they're new. It's just they're new to us. 
Uh, there's just something to, to think about right there. And that there will be another red heifer. Uh, is it possible that the, the counting is wrong? And in the end, there will be 12 red heifers that would be slaughtered. And that would be one for each of the tribes of Israel. Well, I guess we'll just have to agree with the rabbinic writings on this and say that when Messiah returns, that he's going to reveal everything about the red heifer. The the uh, I know that today I've actually met the gentleman that has a ministry. They've taken red heifers to Israel and working in this. Is is this? Are these the red heifers that are going to be? Uh, one of them is going to be the next one slaughtered. I don't know. Uh, we'll find out when it comes. But what we can say is this: the just the concept, the thought that people today are working in this. It has been happening for many years. It's not something new. But the thought that people are working toward this is another profit, another uh, step in the prophetic timetable that we are in, and I believe a very important one. Now, when we turn the page to chapter 20, uh, you can write in the margin of your scripture, 38 years. So everything that's happened up till now has been in the first couple of years. Uh, I, I didn't go back. I, I read this somewhere. I, I believe it to be true. Uh, I'm not going to spend the time trying to figure that one out. There's people smarter than I am regarding the scriptures. A lot of them, in fact. <laughs> but uh, that's that's irrelevant. Um, the it, When we get to chapter 20, this is the 38-year point. And it begins with the people of Israel, the whole community, entered the Zin Desert in the first month, and they stayed in Kadesh. There Miriam died, and there she was buried. I talked to uh, our Congregation Life Assembly the other day about this, and by the way, for anybody that may be in the area contemplating, uh, because of my schedule, a uh, number of things coming up and also have family coming in. Uh, it's been decided we will not be having our regular services at uh, uh, the building that we've been renting for a couple of years. But uh, there will be some home meetings. So if you happen to show up at the, the place we normally are at, we're, we're not going to be there. Um, so with uh, that being said, with Miriam, uh, I was talking to them about this the other day, that if we go to Strong's, Strong's concordance says that Miriam's name means rebellion. But if we look at the root word, it actually, a better translation would be bitter. And it's not that she was a bitter person, I don't think, but her life had been bitter. You know, consider this, that uh, she is a number of years older than Moshe, uh, so is Aaron. And we know that Miriam was old enough at the time in Egypt of the killing of the babies that she was able to take that little ark with her baby brother in it. She was able to take it down to the Nile. She was able to, uh, whether swim or walk along the bank or whatever she did, uh, she was of, of age that she was responsible enough that she would have been able to do that. She was of age, that she was responsible as far as when she saw the, the daughter of Pharaoh come and get that ark out of the, uh, out of the, the bulrushes there. 
that she could put two, two, two and two together and go to her and say, hey, I've got this, this uh, woman that can take care of this baby for you and raise it until such time as it's weaned. And so she did. So Miriam... Uh, is is probably you know I'm I'm going to say and I, there's probably some writings on this and maybe you know this but uh, she's probably a maybe an early teenager about this time and so her life some of her earliest memories would have been during those days of uh, of Egypt and the bitterness of hearing the cries of the parents of children, of baby boys who had been put to death. So her, her life began in bitterness. When Moshe is, uh, is banished from Egypt, there was bitterness. Uh, that It was a bitter time of her life. There were many things that she went through, even though she would stand against Moses during uh, one part of his life. Uh, for the rest of it, during those those years in the in the the wilderness with the Hebrews, the thirty eight years so far, she's seen many people come against her brother. Uh, she she led a life that was uh, bitter, but yet it was very sweet because she was the one I believe that was prophesying. It says that she died and she was buried, and then it says that the water. Because the community had no water, they assembled themselves against Moshe. So where's the where's the water gone? Uh, it is believed that uh, Miriam was the one that was prophesying over the water that was in the camp. Now, where was that water coming from? This is uh, what I'm about to say is is kind of review for some people, but sometimes you know, review is not a bad thing. In 1 Corinthians 10, which I started with when we began uh, in back to Exodus, of 1 Corinthians 10 is a chapter that we should always have in the back of our mind when we go through the Exodus experience, which is talking about prefigurative historical events. So in Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, for brothers, I don't want you to be, miss the significance of what happened to our, father, our fathers. All of them were guided by the pillar of cloud. They didn't wonder. They all passed through the sea, the mikvah. And in connection with the cloud and the sea, they were immersed themselves into Moshe, which Moshe brought forth the Torah, which is a revelation of the Messiah. Also, they ate the same food from the Spirit, and they all drank the same drink from the Spirit. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, the Spirit wasn't given until Acts chapter 2. Uh, wrong. Uh, and they drank from a Spirit-sent rock, which followed them, and the rock was the Messiah. So when we go back, we can tie this together regarding Mount Sinai, which is the, the gematra of Mount Sinai, points us to some of the words of Messiah, I'm not going to get into that one right now, but the, the, the revelation of Mount Sinai is the revelation of the Messiah. The rock followed them. So did Mount Sinai follow them? Or is it tied to this Torah portion that when Moshe struck the rock and the water came forth from that rock, that it was the water that was following them through the wilderness 
which was always connecting them from Mount Sinai to their present position. So beautiful picture in my mind. So this water is a is a revelation of what we see in the book of Isaiah that he is a, a man acquainted with grief, that he was stricken on our behalf. There is many scriptures I could I could go to if I, I spent the time regarding that Yeshua's life would be one of bitterness, but yet it would be of joy. So the word Miriam is a mim, resh, yod, and a final mim. Uh, those The mim, of course, is the letter for water. It is a an open water, and then a final water at the end. In the center of it is a resh, which is the head, would be speaking to us of Messiah. The yod, which is the hand, the, the, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who is the head. So Miriam's name is pointing us to the one who would be, who would live a life of bitterness, but yet would become our life and bring forth the life-giving water in which we would be complete, the final mim. All of that and much, much more is in there. But it says that she died. Uh, notice, again, I've taught on this in, in previous years, but I believe it very important for us, that she died, and the next thing that we see is that the water dries up. Uh, this is, again, my thoughts, uh, not putting this out totally as doctrine, but I, I think it, it fits the pattern very well, that as Miriam was prophesying in the camp that the the water that they were drinking was the living water of Mount Sinai, the revelation of Yeshua, that when the water, when she died, the prophecy died because she did not raise up a successor. And this is very important for me going into this time of revive. This is the Torah portion, one of the two Torah portions. I'll be actually speaking during two different Torah portions, this one for Friday and Saturday. Uh, this is very, very, uh, this is not a coincidence to me in any way that I will be speaking to these young adults specifically during the time period of Miriam and her death and there not being a successor to bring forth the prophecy of the living water. So what happens here? If this is if I'm true if I'm if I'm right on this and this is the this is a revelation of the Messiah that was given to them on Mount on Mount Sinai then the revelation in the camp pun intended, dried up. And the next thing that we see is quarreling. Now, let's go back into Marcion and Constantine and church fathers and modern day doctrines of the Torah is done away with. What happens when the prophecy of the Messiah from Mount Sinai dies? 
as was done through Marcion, Constantine, and various others, then we begin to quarrel about who the true Messiah is. And somewhere along the way, end up with over 40, the last I saw, over over 46,000 denominations, non-denominations, and splits, and everything else. See, there is no quarrel when your Messiah goes back to Mount Sinai. But when your Messiah comes from Cleveland, Tennessee, or from uh, from from Nashville, or, or from Springfield, or or whatever from Johannesburg, South Africa, when your revelation comes from somewhere outside of Mount Sinai, you can come up with a different revelation of Messiah, which brings forth quarreling and division. Now, the people begin their quarreling by telling Moshe, uh, why did you bring Yudhevave's community into the desert to die there, we and our livestock? Why did you bring us, why did you make us leave Egypt? this terrible place without seed, figs, grapevines, pomegranates, or even water to drink. You know, their statement is in part true. Which part? The, the part that there are there's no seed, figs, grapevines, pomegranates, and now the water is dried up. So their statement is true, but the attitude in which they're bringing their statement out of is, well, let's just say is totally ridiculous. Because they don't have their eyes on the future. They have, for the most part, never had their eyes on the future. Who is this that's quarreling anyway? Uh, again, let's just kind of put in some things into the white areas. Is this the last of the generation that came out of Egypt? Hmm. Or is this everybody? We're, we're not, you know, we're not exactly told there, but um, it, it does say that you know they they assembled because the community had no water. They said, "Well, who's they?" We're not exactly told. It, it could be that this is an older generation that is poisoning a younger generation. Yeah, that's happened in the past, and let me tell you, it's trying to happen again and uh, doing everything I can to stand against that. So there, there was, yeah, they're, they're right. They're right. There, there's, there's no seed. Why would you plant seed? Because you're going to be going from one place to another and you're never going to see that seed germinate and come forth and bring forth mature fruit. So why plant seed? Uh, there's the area they're in. There's no figs. There's no pomegranates. There's no grapevines. Okay, you, you've made a correct statement here. But get your eyes off of where you are and get your eyes onto where you're going. Now, before we move on, there are some picture, there is a picture being painted here that, what is seed? Seed is a picture of redemption 
to maturity. We could say it like this. That seed is a picture of Israel coming forth as seed from Egypt and then going into maturity in Canaan, in the land of Israel, modern-day Israel. So they're not seeing the maturity. (laughs) Well, if they're not seeing the maturity, they should probably have found a good mirror somewhere and, and figured out that, you know, a plant has to go through a process before fruit comes forth. Uh, we've planted a garden, and it's not doing well because it's been so cool this year. That's another subject. But in the a seed has to go through a process, and each it, it cannot it, it cannot circumvent the process. Kathy was explaining to one of our grandchildren the other day that with uh, squash or zucchini or one I guess it's both. But the, uh, the, the plant puts out male flowers first in order to attract the correct insects. And then it puts out female flowers, which are able to be pollinated and therefore you get forth, you get fruit. Now, if that squash or zucchini decides, you know, I'm going to just skip the male flower process and go right to the female flower process, what's going to happen? Well, nothing. There's not going to be anything that's going to be brought forth for other generations. So they were trying to skip the process of maturity. Figs. Uh, figs is has dual meanings in scripture, a number of different meanings, but one is righteous judgment. That the, that there was, now that the water is cut off, there's no, they don't feel there's righteous judgment in the camp. Now I'd have to kind of differ with that a little bit because Moshe is still there. Uh, vines, refreshing joy. Why is there no refreshing joy? Well, we'll get to that in just a couple of moments. And pomegranates is the fruit of the Torah, the fruit of the Spirit. We see in Scripture, a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell. And these are all things that are talking to us about the gifts and fruit of the Spirit. So what are they saying? Once again, we don't see God in our camp. And you know, that didn't work out for them to begin with, and it's not going to work out real well for them now, but that's just the way people are. Uh, you know, in, in the end, it comes down to this. They forgot They've been in the wilderness for 38 years. They, 38 years ago, they're walking through a sea on dry ground. Uh, 39 years ago, they're go, they're seeing the plagues, some of which are on the land of Egypt, but not in their camp. Uh, where is the, where, where's the remembering his faithfulness? Where is it? Well, that's the same place that I put it sometimes. Forgotten. You know, you, you come to a situation in life, and it's like, oh, woe is me. And instead of sitting down and going and, and, and making a list of, you know, he was faithful here, and he was faithful here, and he was faithful here, and he has a pretty good track record of faithfulness, so I guess 
that if I continue to be faithful to him, that he's going to be faithful to me. And maybe the reason that I'm going through something is because, you know, one of us has kind of lost faithfulness, which is always in my, you know, on my end. So if we would sit down and instead of the woe is me about our present, we would consider his faithfulness of the past, then maybe it would change our present and direct us to our future. Just saying. Or... Just keep complaining about the present and wonder why things never change. Uh, This would result in a tragedy. And that is the failure of Moshe. I'm not pointing fingers of judgment at this man. And I'm not going to say but right there because that means that I'm going to point fingers of judgment. I just wonder, when the 12 spies came back from Egypt, or from uh, from Canaan, 10 of them with a bad report, it says that they, that Moshe, I, I believe in Aaron, I have to go back and look at it, fell on their faces and prayed. I know it says that Moshe did. Fell on his face and prayed. Why didn't he stand up? Why didn't he stand up? Again, I, I'm not I'm not judging this man in any way. I'm just asking questions. Why did he not stand up, look at the ten, and say, "You are banished from the camp"? Hmm. How would things have changed at that point? There. What What am I trying to bring us toward here? There's a time for prayer, and there's a time for action. Now, action. Needs to be bathed in prayer, yes. But there comes a time in which you don't quit praying, but your your prayer becomes your action. And I see this in uh, in people's lives. I see this in posts on Facebook of people that will post and say, "Pray for me," and I'm going through this and going through this. And I, again, I'm not being judgmental, but I I do know. Uh, a lot about some people's lives. I'm not, I mean, I'm talking about myself some at times too. There comes a time in which you need to continue to pray and bring forth action. Let's put it into simple terms. If you're going through sickness, you can pray all day and all night. But if you don't take action to make some changes in your diet, well, maybe, maybe, maybe you're the hindrance. I'm not pointing to you directly. Okay? If I am, I, I didn't. I'm, I'm not, I don't have anybody in my mind. Okay, but if you if you have a sickness and you continue with your your bad dietary habits, well, keep praying, and maybe the Father is saying, "I'll answer." when you make the changes. Maybe people go through a time of financial difficulty. You can pray all day, but if you if you don't make the changes, then you know, I mean, why should we expect him to to uh to step in when we're not I, I use those words we and you and all that you know English language here. 
I'm not, again, I'm not directing this at anyone. But why would he make changes if we're just going to put ourselves in the same place again? We need to make sure that our prayer is bringing forth action in our lives. Is it possible that Moshe prayed and then should have stood up and banished the ten spies from the camp? I, I, I don't know. Um, in the end, Moshe would strike the rock. Now, we know because we have the words of Shaul that the rock, as I just read out of 1 Corinthians, the rock was Messiah, was the revelation of. I, I'm not saying, you know, it says the rock was Messiah. That's a, a breakdown of English that it is not that it was literally the Messiah there, but it was the revelation of the Messiah. It's like the Torah is the living word, yes, and it is the revelation of who the person is. If you read a book, a biography of someone, whoever, whoever it is, is that book the person? Or is that book the revelation of the person? I believe the second to be true. If you, if you had a, a book that somebody decided to, to write, you know, a really boring one on, uh, I guess on my life and, uh, said, well, you know, this is the, hold this book up and say, this is Mike Clayton. And when people would be going, what? You're crazy. No, that's a revelation of who the person is. And so the rock in the, in the camp that followed them, attached to the water, which is attached to Mount Sinai, is the revelation of the Messiah in the camp. We know the scripture says that Moshe uh, was told to speak to the rock, not to strike the rock the second time. Shaul would tell us that the, the, the sin was that he struck the rock, and the, and the Messiah is only to be struck one time. He was executed one time. Now, here's something I'll be talking to the youth uh, this weekend about. The scripture says that Messiah, in Revelation, Messiah is slain from the foundations of the world. So when was Messiah slain? Was it 2,000 years ago? Well, that's contradictory to scripture. Because scripture says that he was slain before the creation, before the, the foundations of the world were laid. And so, because, again, this is, this is some teaching for the weekend, because we see past, present, and future, he doesn't. The creator does not see past, present, and future, he sees present. And with that, his, in, in his sight, what happened 2,000 years ago happened prior to creation. So the, to tie this to the ashes of the red heifer, the continual covering, the ashes of, if, if I'm true, if I'm right, and the ashes of a red heifer were, were brought forth in the garden and then given to Moshe, then that is a picture of a continual covering for the sin of Israel, for the sin of his family. Now, he, instead of speaking to the rock, so we, here's the, here's the picture. We come 
before him. And we accept the fact that he has been, that he was slain for us. He was stricken for us. He was struck for us. Isaiah chapter 53. But after that point, we don't go back to him and, and, and place him upon that stake again, over and over and over again. Uh, we have in, in Franklin, right at one of our roundabouts, uh, a Lutheran church that has this, this crucifix out front. And those things just, I mean, when they, when they constructed the roundabout, they had to take it down for a time. And I was like really hoping that somebody would lose it, but they didn't. And so every time you go around this roundabout, there is Messiah, you know, their, their depiction of, uh, Messiah upon an execution stake. And, and I, I mean, if I could, if I knew it would make a difference in anybody, I'd stop by and say, guys, he's not there anymore. And if you want a, a picture, uh, you want a symbol of Messiah that is what he gave to us. It is the menorah. It is not the, the execution stake. And as we look at the menorah, it is about walking in his spirit. And we can go to Isaiah chapter 11, the sevenfold spirit, spirits of Yudhe which is actually, he is one. So again, you know, it just, it's one of those things. He is not there upon that stake. He has given us a picture of life for us to speak to. Moshe struck the rock the second time and therefore brought judgment upon himself. And I, I, I say this every single year. I'm going to say this again, that Moshe is the man in the camp that is worthy of entering the promised land and won't. The people of Israel in the camp are for the most part not worthy of entering in, and they will. What happened? The people became frustrated. 38 years, walking around the wilderness, they became frustrated. Okay, got that. You may get frustrated at times. You may be watching the news. You may be praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And you get frustrated. You may get frustrated at times at your congregation, at wherever you go. But make sure that you do not bring forth that frustration in such a way that it makes those who are in leadership in that congregation do something that would keep them from their destiny. That is something that we should all be looking at. That I do not bring frustration into the camp to the point that I cause someone else to lash out in such a way that it denies them what could have been their walking into the camp, into the kingdom, instead of them being resurrected into the kingdom. I guess both sides are really good, but I'm going to take, you know, if I get my choice... I'm like walking in, be resurrected on the, on the journey. That would be my, that would be mine. Now, <coughs> after this, 
uh, we see, I'm going to go all the way to chapter 21 because we're kind of running out of time here, that once again, they began to, uh, after the death of Aaron, they mourned him for 30 days. Remember, there was no recorded mourning for Miriam, <coughs> no successor. Aaron, on the other hand, had raised up the, the Levites, had raised up his sons in order to carry on the job. They mourned him for 30 days, but then they fell into their same old thing of, uh, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no real food. There's no water, and we're sick of this miserable stuff we're eating. Let me give you a uh, the a, a more accurate translation of these words. We are sick of we have a sickening dread of this contemptible bread. Now write that one down. We have a sickening dread of this contemptible bread. They are dreading every morning that they're walking out of their tent and having, you know, there is such thing as a free breakfast. It was in the wilderness so far for 38 years. And after 38 or so years, they became so, so familiar with and contemptible toward a bread which was called the bread of angels that they had a sickening dread of going out and getting it. You know, if, if the Almighty, let's say that, you know, in, in years to come, the, uh, that, that things change. You can't go to the grocery store, all that stuff. Your, all your stored food is, is gone and manna begins again. And it's, you know, well, it, this could use some, some, a little more salt. This could use, we need some pepper. How about some hot sauce? Now, well, what are we going to do with this today? Is is that going to be our attitude? Well, it, it's if you're not thankful for what's on your plate today, if you're complaining, if people, I'll say it like that, if people are complaining about what's on their table today, well, what makes you think you're not going to complain about angel food then? Yeah, something to think about. Now, this will bring forth this amazing story of um, of the the poisonous snakes, and I just I can't even imagine this one. But the the word here for you are to put a serpent on the stake. This ties actually to a, a verse I taught about recently at Life Assembly in John chapter three, verse fifteen. But if you haven't read Numbers chapter twenty one, then you don't understand what's going on in John chapter three, because you can now come up with a Messiah after your own image instead of going back and seeing what is happening, is that this is a choice. So we have these snakes in the camp, poisonous snakes and it says you are to put a serpent on a pole, a bronze snake on a pole, and everyone who looks upon it will live. The word there is nakash, which is the uh, uh, has the same gematra as Messiah. Yeah, kind of interesting. So. We consider this of Isaiah chapter 14. Don't have time to go to that. This is 
having to do with Satan in your camp, the enemy in your camp, and you're getting bitten because of your own actions. And he says, you need to look unto Messiah. When we go back to, to the garden, and the reason Eve, the word is to shine, its, its meaning is brass, copper, and we see that Eve in the garden was tricked by a pseudo-Messiah. A pseudo-Messiah. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Shaul tells us, that the enemy comes as a as a angel of light. If he came with the little pointed tail, and uh, you know, and the horns, and the red suit, and the pitchfork, who's gonna? Well, there would today, uh, yeah. But who in the right mind is going to follow him? He doesn't come like that. He comes as an angel of light. He comes as. The, the word anti-Christ or anti-Messiah is not a biblical, does not have biblical meaning. It is a pseudo-Messiah, one who is appearing to be the Messiah and is walking as such. Now, look at these verses. It does not say that if you, if you look at the serpent on the pole, if you look to Messiah, it doesn't say you won't get bit. But it says that if you get bit, the outcome, which of a poisonous snake is death, that death will no longer affect you. Going through this world, ladies and gentlemen, there's times you're going to get bit. But if we keep our eyes on Messiah, he has overcome death, hell, and the grave. And that is a wonderful message. Shabbat Shalom, Shavuot Tov. Have a blessed, prosperous week. Best, yeah, have a blessed, prosperous week. Bezrat Hashem, God willing. See you again next week. Thank you for those who are committing to pray for us during the time of Revive. I expect next week when I sit here at this desk that I will have a great report for you. Until then, be strong. Uh... Shalom